Amen. This morning, as, as we begin worship, uh, I have a question for you that I just want to kind of put in the back of your mind so that we can talk about it a little later. What is the most famous shipwreck you can think of? What's the most, don't say it, yeah, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> okay, just, just kind of put that in the back of your head. What, what shipwrecks are you aware of? What shipwrecks are famous in, in your life? We're going to be talking about a shipwreck this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked. Uh, he had been uh, uh, sent to Rome. He's on his way to Rome. He had appealed to Rome, actually. He'd been accused falsely, and uh, it looked like it was going to be a... a uh, what do they call that when they um, run you right through and you're going to be convicted no matter what? What do they call? Railroad. Railroad. Thank you, Kenny. That's the word I was looking for. <clears throat> it looked like he was going to be railroaded, and so he appealed to Caesar, which means he has to go to Rome. He's on his way to Rome. God warns him that the ship would be in peril if they take off, and the, the sailors all think it's going to be good. They can get there in good time and harbor in a better place for the winter, so they take off, and it becomes disastrous. A storm surrounds them, and the, the ship is in peril. And it's a long time. Actually, uh, after three days, God speaks to Paul again and tells Paul, don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of the ship. Everyone's going to be saved. The ship will be lost, but everyone on it will be saved. And of course, Paul shares that it's another almost 14 days that they're in the storm. 14 days that they're in the storm. They can't see see the sun. They can't see the stars because of the storm. Of course, that's how they navigate it. When we come to our scripture lesson this morning, the the storm has abated some, and and so they see that there is some hope. There may be some hope, I should say, even though Paul's been telling them, God said, God said. And when we come to verse 33, Paul stands up again. He wants to remind them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to fill them with hope. In verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar fast And would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land to safety. May God add God's blessing, the reading and hearing of God's most holy word. Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons podcast. Each week we will be uploading the focus scripture and sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Hello.
So, <coughs> excuse me. I ask you to think of uh, some shipwrecks. Uh, what are some shipwrecks you thought of? Anybody? The SS Minnow. Yes. For those of you who don't remember or do, are too young to know, that's Gilligan's Island. Yes. I love it. Who else? Uh, Neil. Titanic. Yeah. Is that the one you had, Brian? Okay. All right. Uh, Phyllis. The Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah, and you're the right age to know that song playing through your mind. Yes. Uh, my wife said The Bounty. For those of you who didn't uh, hear, that wasn't too long ago. The Bounty sank. Yeah. The Bismarck. Yes, the Bismarck. Anyone in the balcony? You all were sleeping up there, weren't you? Ha <laughs> ha, caught you. <laughs> no. All right. How about up here? The Atocha. The Atocha. Ah, okay, that's one I didn't know. Yep, is that? Atlantis. The Atlantis. <laughs> Was that a ship? <laughs> the what? The Monitor, yes, yes. One more. The Lusitania, yes, also sunk the RMS Lusitania. So uh, the ones I thought of, oops. okay, the ones I thought of, there's the Titanic. Uh, there is, how about the Arizona? Yeah, uh, sunk in battle. Uh, then there was, uh, this is uh, Queen Anne's Revenge. This is Blackbeard's uh, ship, and uh, it, it sunk. And then, of course, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Those were the ones I thought of. But, but you know, th- those aren't the only ships that sink or are wrecked. Um, we sometimes have things we call relationships that are wrecked. So I was thinking of Tiger and, well, it doesn't matter, whoever. Um, Ellen, uh, Ellen was her name, uh, and, and then there was, uh, of course, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. I, I, just a couple of relationships that that you might know of that that have have seemingly wrecked. Uh, you may have been involved in a ship wreck, um, and this morning we want to talk about how we can survive a shipwreck how we can survive a shipwreck. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, as I had mentioned, is on this ship. It has gone through just a horrible storm. And, and the question is, will they survive? Will they survive? Now, you know of a lot of different shipwrecks that you know of. Some survive and some don't, right? And so if you were on a ship today and that ship was in peril in the midst of the storm, you may be saying, okay, will this ship survive? You may be in the midst of a relationship that's in turmoil. And the question is, will this ship survive? Or maybe more importantly, will I survive uh, what's happening here uh, in this relationship And you may be in the midst of the storm. And the question is, how can you survive? The Apostle Paul is in the midst of the storm, (coughs) and he hears from God. God assures him that everyone will be saved. Now, I want to be clear about something, because sometimes we look at the Apostle Paul and we think, man, I would have loved to have had his life. Because, man, he just kind of flew through life. He, he, he experienced all these miracles of God. God was continually doing incredible things in his life. Isn't that what you want in your life? You want to see God do awesome miracles in your life. Let me remind you that the Apostles Paul's life was spent, a, a majority, not a majority of it, but a large percentage of it was spent in prison. And large parts of it 
were faced with turmoil and conflict. From the time he gave his life to Jesus Christ, met Jesus on that road, he, he experienced trial after trial after trial. You see, when we want miracles in our lives, we want to see God do great things without us facing the struggles in our lives. See, we want to go to Ohio and back and see God do great things and not get stuck in the middle of Ohio and have to have to learn to trust in God in that moment and see God work in that moment. The truth of the matter is we see God's hand work most powerfully in those moments that we find most difficult. And by the way, if you're in the middle of Ohio, there's nothing there. So (laughs) your only hope is in Jesus Christ. If we're honest with ourselves... All of our lives are filled with turmoil and conflict, aren't they? I mean, you may be going through a good period now. I hope you are. Praise God. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, you and I both know that, that our lives will be faced with difficulty. And the question is, how are you going to survive? How are you going to be one of the ones who makes it to that shore? How, how are you going to survive the storms of life, the shipwreck. When the ship is falling apart, how are you going to make it? That's our question this morning. And I want you to know that in this story, everyone on the ship made it to shore. So you need to know that in the midst of your shipwreck, God offers you hope. Hope. And there's nothing better than hope. Because it's hope that helps us survive. See, now I gave it away. You can fall asleep. But the way to survive a shipwreck is going to be centered around hope. And I want you to see how the Apostle Paul opens that up for the people on the ship. And I want to encourage you because I believe that God wants to fill your life with hope and the hope that you can share with those neighbors and friends and family members who are facing trials and tribulations, whose ships are in trouble. And you can offer them hope. The Apostle Paul starts talking about hope way back in the middle of the storm. Why is he able to do that? Because he hears from God. As a matter of fact, he tells the guys on the ship that an angel of the Lord came and stood next to him. That's pretty awesome. And so way back in verse 22, (coughs) the Apostle Paul has stood up and says to the, the crew members there and to all those on the ship, he says, now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Now you have to understand how confusing that is to a sailor. Because for a sailor, what's going to help you survive is the ship itself. And they do all they can to save the ship. Why? Because if you don't have a ship, you have to be a very good swimmer. And all the sailors know when you're in the middle of the ocean, especially in the middle of the storm, especially when you can't see shore, especially when you can't see the stars and the sun to navigate by, your only hope, they believe, is the ship. But the Apostle Paul says, the ship is going to be lost. 
take heart. Your ship is going to be destroyed. Can you imagine? I can see all the sailors. Should we hang him now or wait till the storm's over? (laughs) I'm sure they were thinking, this guy is nuts. But you see, the word of God has come to Paul and has come into Paul's life. And because of that, Paul can have hope and he puts his hope not in a ship, but in his relationship with the Almighty God. A lot of people in our world today are putting their hope in other things besides Jesus Christ. They're putting their hope in other things, hoping that that thing will fulfill their lives. And many are putting their hope in relationships. We're so much in love. They care for me so much. They'll take care of me. It will be okay. What if God said to you, no, it's not okay. This ship is going to be destroyed. Then what are you going to do? The truth of the matter is a relationship will not save you. If you want to survive, you have to be able to survive the shipwrecks in your lives. And and folks, if you haven't had a relationship that's been a struggle yet, you will. Because you see, even if everybody you are involved with is perfect, I got news for you, you're not. And some of these relationships will die. And some of these relationships will cause you great consternation. The question is, in whom are you going to put your hope? The Apostle Paul stands up and says to all these people on the ship, he speaks words of hope. And those words of hope come from the Almighty God. And I've got words of hope for you this morning. And they come from the Almighty God. Not from me, but from Him. Because He has all kinds of hope for you. And He wants you to hear it. And He wants you to share it with everyone you meet. Because there is power in the words of the hope of the Almighty God. The Apostle Paul later on stands up. Now the storm has abated some. They've been 14 days in the storm. And he stands up. And now the guys are ready to hear it. And this is what he says. I urge you to take some food. You need, you need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Now, is that confidence or what? The Apostle Paul says, I am so convinced that God's word is true. I want you to hear it again. This is what the angel told me. You will not lose a single hair from your head. Now, for some of you, it's not saying a whole lot. But for others, that would be an important thing to hear. What he's trying to say to them is, listen very carefully. God is going to save us. He is our hope. Listen, he is is our hope. So I want you to hear some of the words of hope that God offers us in the midst of our ship wrecks and hope that we can offer others. This one I really like in Deuteronomy 31. Uh, Joshua's getting ready to take over the Israelite leadership, and the Israelites have not been the best people to lead. They've been rather difficult, to say the least. Uh, they, they tended to go off. As a matter of fact, they had built that, that golden calf. You remember all that? Uh, and they constantly wanted to go away from God. God had caused them to wander in the wilderness. You know the story. 40 days, or 40 days. 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years, 40 days, no, 40 years in the wilderness to wander. And here, Joshua has the greatest opportunity in the world. He gets to lead these rebellious, stubborn people who didn't listen to Moses most of the time and probably won't listen to Joshua anymore. 
And so in this moment, when Joshua can foresee shipwreck upon shipwreck, God comes to him through Moses, and he says, listen very carefully. And by the way, he doesn't just say it here, he says it in Joshua over and over again. But this is what he says. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will, listen very carefully, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Yeah, right. But that's the truth. Our God promises to go with you. He promises, first of all, to go before you. Now, listen very carefully. If he goes before you, what that means is you're following him, correct? If he goes before you and you don't follow him, what's going to happen? Well, you're not going to experience his presence, are you? People, people get confused with this. I'm going to do my own thing, they say, and then God is never going to leave me nor forsake me. Well, well wait a minute. That's not what it says. It says the Lord himself will go before you. What does that mean? That means I'm going to follow him, and if I follow him, what I'm going to discover is he will never leave me nor forsake me. And I will not need to be afraid. Did you hear what I said? I will not need to be afraid, nor will I need to be discouraged. I I didn't say I won't be. I said I don't need to be. This is an incredible promise. In the middle of your shipwreck, listen to the word of God. He promised, if you're following him, see, that's what the Apostle Paul knew. He was following Jesus every step of the way. And yeah, it led him into some very difficult situations. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, in the difficult situations, what do I do? And God spoke words of encouragement. This is what he said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He also said this in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who could stand against us? That's an incredible promise. Think about that. If the Almighty God is in your life, then what circumstance can overwhelm you, can overtake you, can cause you to fail? In the midst of your relationship, in the midst of your shipwreck, hold on fast. If God is for us, who could stand against us? And you'll look around and you'll say, well, boy, look at that, and look at that, and look at that. And God will say, no, 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 don't look at that, look at that, look at that, look at me. Because I am your hope. Listen to these words. These are the words that God is speaking to you. This is the most powerful of all. You remember the the jailer who was watching over Paul and Silas? They were thrown in jail. Here you go again. Another great opportunity, right? Paul and Silas, serving God, doing what's right, doing what God's calling them to do, sharing with people the hope of Jesus Christ. And where do they land? In jail. It's a great story. Read it for yourself in Acts chapter 16. It's a wonderful story. And in the midst of their being in jail, they decide to start a praise band. So they get the praise team together. They just start singing. And all of a sudden, everybody in jail starts singing. And then what do you know? The doors fly open. The chains come off of them. And they are set free. But they're busy worshiping God. They don't have time to walk out. They're just praising God. And all of a sudden, the jailer gets up. He sees the doors open. He's panicked because, you see, if they have escaped his life is on the line so they run in and he runs in and there they are they're all still there praising God (laughs) the the jailer says what do I have to do to be saved what do I have to do to have such a relationship with God that even prison can't hold me back 
that no matter what the circumstances in my life are, no matter what the shipwreck is, I still could sing and worship and have hope. What, what's, what's it take? That's what he asks. And they say this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be saved. When the shipwrecks, you'll make it to shore. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And it's only in Jesus Christ. And the jailer puts his trust in Jesus Christ. He's baptized that day. And he went from there praising God and serving the Lord Jesus. You, you see what Jesus does? He, he brings hope in the midst of our shipwrecks. You see, some of you have a shipwreck in your relationship with God. You say, well, well pastor, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I'm not perfect either. But you see, the struggle there is, is that God requires perfection. So, well, why would God require perfection? Well, because he's a perfect God. Well, that's not fair. He created us and he knew we wouldn't be perfect. You're right. He knew we wouldn't be perfect, which is why he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place. Because you see, if you're not perfect, somebody has to die. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die. And the good news is, God said, I want to renew my relationship with you. I want to save you in the midst of this shipwreck of your life. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have my son go and die in your place. He's going to live a perfect life, and he's going to die in your place. So that you can have life. You can have his life. He'll take your ugly, broken life, and he'll give you his perfect, redeemed life. And you'll be forgiven. Isn't that awesome? And he says, I'll have my son go and and pluck you out of that water and save you. Now here's the interesting thing. God could have forced us to accept that. Because you see, he had sent Jesus as his word. But, but Jesus do, doesn't make us follow him. He gives us a choice. Can you imagine, just take a moment and imagine yourself in the middle of the ocean. You can't see land anywhere. And you have no vessel. You have nothing. You're treading water. Now, if you can't swim, this will be a short illustration. If you can swim, you might last a little while. And there you are. And God comes along. And he reaches out his hand. He says, take my hand. And I will take you to a safe place. And you say to God, no, God, that's all right. I'm doing fine here, just treading water. I'll be okay. Because I know there are a lot of people who do that. I'm doing okay, God. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I, I'm staying above water. I, I can still breathe. My nostrils are still above water. My mouth may not be, but my nostrils are. I can make it. What's going to happen to that person? You know what's going to happen to that person. I know what's going to happen to that person. What a shame it would be for them not to take the hand of the Almighty God. But God offers them his hand and offers us his hand. And if we would simply believe and grab hold of that hand, he'd pick us up out of the water. That's an awesome gift. I beg you to do that today. Stop treading water. 
stop treading water because eventually you'll tire out. And he has a wonderful life ahead for you. Speak hope. If you want to survive the shipwreck, begin to speak hope. Speak it into your heart. Speak it into the hearts of others. Speak the word of God that is just filled with hope. Now, my time's up and we finished the first point. But that's never stopped me before. Um, I, I do want to share with you a couple other things that are really powerful. Um, first of all, uh, how, how many of you like homemade bread? Oh, I love homemade bread. You know, one of the best parts of homemade bread is smelling it while it's cooking, isn't it? You can just smell that. Oh, that's bread, homemade bread. Oh, and you can't wait if you're like me. You can't wait till it gets out of the oven or the bread machine, in my case. Uh, <clears throat> that's how good I am at making bread. But uh, you, can sm- you can't wait to get that first piece. It tastes oh so good. Now, these sailors probably didn't have that kind of bread. <laughs> they probably had hardtack or, or uh, 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 leavenless bread, kind of like we would use for communion in uh, our, our Passover meal. That leavened, unleavened bread, that almost cracker-like thing. And the Apostle Paul, when he finally got them to think that perhaps there was some hope, He wanted them to do more than just speak it. He wanted them to actually take it in. You see, it's one thing to hear about hope. It's another thing to take it into your heart and actually believe that there's hope. These guys had heard about it way back, 14 days earlier. Here, 14 days later, they hear about it again. The question is, are they really going to take it into their lives? And the Apostle Paul lifted it up and gave thanks, and he began to share it with them. And he shared it with them, and, and they began to take it. And what's interesting is, is as they began to take it, look at verse 36. They were all encouraged. They were all encouraged. Because all of a sudden, it wasn't just something you were talking about. Now they were starting to feel it in their lives. It wasn't just something they heard about, heard someone else. It's not something that they just intellectually believed. Now all of a sudden, they began to take it in. They actually began to think and feel that there was really a possibility. They were actually being encouraged. You know, Jesus, on that night, he was betrayed. He he took that bread and offered thanks, just like Paul did. And and he offered it to his disciples. And and we do that every month, don't we? And and sometimes we just kind of, oh yeah, it's communion Sunday. We take our communion Sunday. I want you to hear how powerful that moment is. Because when you partake of that piece of bread, what you're saying is, I believe that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And when you, when you put that in your mouth and that piece of bread becomes a part of you, you should be encouraged. You should be reminded, yes, Jesus died on the cross for me. He offered me that salvation. And in the midst of my shipwrecks, he offers to come and be a part of my life and fill me with that hope that I may have been struggling with. He comes into the midst of my shipwreck and he says, listen, I walked this earth. I faced shipwreck after shipwreck. There's no shipwreck you're going to face that I haven't faced in one way or another. And he says, when you partake of this, remember, 
remember that I died on the cross to help you get through this shipwreck. As a matter of fact, that piece of bread becomes a part of you and the Lord Jesus comes into you and says, I am with you. I am a part with you. Jesus said this to his disciples, I am the bread of life. And in John 6, it was a difficult moment because he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And the scripture says, many of the disciples stopped following him. What's he talking about? Eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What's he talking about? Cannibalism? It's not what he's talking about at all. What he's saying is, you have to take me into your life. You have to make me a part of your life if you want to experience hope. If you want to survive the shipwrecks in your life, you've got to bring Jesus into your life. You've got to make him a part of what's happening in your life. What's neat to me about Jesus is that if, if you've been walking away from him and you face a shipwreck and you cry out to him, our Jesus is so great, he, he shows up. Now, if you walked away from me over and over again and then you found yourself in trouble and you called me up, I'm not sure how I'd respond. I might say, well, it's interesting you know who I am now. And I might give you a 20, I might help, but I'd probably give you a little lecture along the way. We serve a Savior that when you cry out to him, he comes. Because he loves you that much. And every time we take communion, he wants to remind you how much he loves you. And even in the midst of the struggles and the trials and the shipwrecks, he loves you so much that he gave his life for you. That'll never change. Hang on to him. Make him a part of your life. Watch him begin to transform you. And and celebrate. Celebrate him. One of the greatest ways to have hope is to celebrate. What's interesting to me is even pagan people know this. Because when when they find themselves in trouble, what do they do? Uh, Well, I'm going to go somewhere and this is what they say, party. Now, some of that may be they want to get away from it all. And, And the problem is, of course, when they're done partying, they're still in the midst of it. It doesn't change. What's neat about Jesus is if you would go and celebrate Jesus in your life in the midst of your trial, what happens is Jesus shows up and he begins to change you. It's like the two guys in prison. They start celebrating Christ in the midst of their trial. They're celebrating Christ. Now, that's not easy to do. I'll be honest with you. Because when things are tough, the last thing I want to do is say, thank you, Jesus, for this trial. I'm so glad you put me in the midst of this mess. But I've learned that if I reach out to him and begin to celebrate who he is and what he's done, if I would take that piece of bread, if I would be reminded that even in the midst of the trials, there's bread baking in the oven, just take a deep breath and then remember that he's going to give you some. Next, we got two weeks and we're going to sit down. We're going to celebrate his love for us. And you know what happens? I've discovered frequently that the situation doesn't change. But what changes is me. And as I begin to change, I begin to have hope in this situation. Okay, so here's a perfect example. We have an election coming up. And many of you are looking at what's going on and you're ready to throw up your hands and say, this is hopeless. I got good news for you. 
In Jesus Christ, there is hope. Now you're going to say, okay, pastor, tell me what the hope is. Jesus Christ is the hope. You say, yeah, but that doesn't answer the question. What I'm calling you to do is bring Jesus into your life and begin to ask him which direction to go when you walk into the voting booth. And you may be surprised. You may be surprised where that would lead you. Now listen very carefully. I'm not telling you who to vote for. Did you notice that? I'm calling you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Open yourself up to him. And when you walk into that voting booth, recognize that God has hope. Hope not just for you, but hope for this United States. And you say, well, it looks hopeless. It does look hopeless, but I got good news. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. You see, when you're in the midst of a shipwreck, you can speak hope, receive hope. But the greatest thing is you can experience hope. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is the movie Rocky. This is the first one. Okay, and Rocky's holding up the belt, having won the battle. Now I want you to look at his face. Don't look too closely. Not that Sylvester Stallone was ever the most good-looking guy in the world, but when he got all beat up in the fight, he's all beat up. And sometimes that happens to us in the midst of the shipwreck. But notice that he's smiling. You know why he's smiling? Best he can with his face all torn up. Why is he smiling, Brian? He won the champ. He won. He won. He's actually experienced hope because he won. <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. <laughs> Movie spoiler alert. Yeah, oh man, we'll have to we'll have to edit that, Tim, on the on the podcast. Uh, notice all these guys were saved when they got to shore. The hope was fulfilled. They experienced hope. Now, here's a neat thing about about following Jesus Christ. Um, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a guaranteed winner. You're guaranteed winning. You know, a lot of people say to me, I, I can't wait to die and go to heaven because then I'll experience the fullness of God. And I get that. But you know what's really neat? We have actually, we're on the winning team. Have you ever been in a, on a team where you know you're going to win? You're, you're so far ahead. The other team, no way they're going to win. I, I played uh, ba- baseball one, uh, a number of years in Little League, and, and the one year we were in this game, we were so far ahead, the coach was putting in guys that hadn't played in 20 years. No, they hadn't played all year. Why? Because they couldn't play. And he put them out there. You know why? Because there was no way we could lose. And what was funny was they actually could play. They got out there and they're all excited. And we're on the bench and we're all excited. You know why? Because we knew we were going to win. So this kid who hadn't had a hit in his entire life, he was O for life when he came up to the plate. And the other team had a decent pitcher on the, play, on, on the mound. And the kid hit the ball, didn't go very far, but he actually hit the ball and he actually made it. to. It was almost a bunt, swinging bunt. We were ecstatic on the bench. We're going, we're going ballistic. He's jumping up and down on first base. All he got was a single, but he was so excited. You, listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Jesus walked out of that tomb alive. And at that point, we won. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed eternal life. You have won. You're guaranteed the Spirit of God in your life. In the midst of the shipwrecks, you're going to survive. You're going to experience that. You have experienced hope. And so you know you're going to win. So don't don't give up. Don't give up hope. Don't walk away. Don't say, I can't do this. Don't say that, that this isn't going to happen. Stand in the middle of it and say, I know, despite the circumstances, I know we're going to win. And you can experience hope even when there is no hope in the eyes of anyone else around you. Isn't that incredible? That's the type of life Jesus gives us. That's the kind of life he wants to give you. Now, I don't know where you are in life, and I don't know what's going on. And maybe things are going good right now, and praise God for that. But I want you to know, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never asked him to forgive you of your sin, if you've never asked him to pull you out of that, that ocean in which you're drowning, you're, you're really you're doing good now. You're able to keep afloat now, but you need to know at some point you won't be able to. I'm going to ask you to, to right now to just say, okay, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please save me. And if you would do that this morning, he will enter your life. And you will have hope from now on. Some of you are struggling in relationships, maybe even with your relationship with God. You believe, but man, things, things just haven't made sense all the time. I want you to know it's okay to, to struggle with some of those things. That's not wrong. But be reminded this morning that Jesus spoke words of hope into your life. And those words of hope are still true. And he's calling you to draw him, to welcome him back into your life. And begin to follow him again. That you might see. That you might see him at work in those, in those shipwrecks in your life. Maybe this morning you're in the middle of the mess. Oh, we pray for you. I, I pray for you. I want you to hear very clearly that Jesus this morning is speaking hope to you. Don't give up. He's right there with you. Hang on. He's offering you his salvation. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you walk with us. Thank you that you've come here this morning to speak to us. Thank you that your words are so full of hope. Lord, we want to lift up to you those this morning who walked in with with little or no hope. Feeling like maybe... Maybe it was time to give up. Lord Jesus, may they draw close to you this morning and allow you to speak into their lives. May they take you in and be reminded that you have a plan and that you're going to get them through. Lord, help them to listen for your voice, to hear your answer, not theirs, or not mine, but your answer. Lord, be with those who this morning said yes to you. 
and draw them close to you. Fill them with hope, hope they've never experienced before. Help them to experience your love in powerful ways. Lord, may they come that we would rejoice with them. Lord Jesus, be with those who are doing well at the moment. Remind them that as they trust in you, you will get them through whatever the next struggle might be. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.